Hey there, soda people and pop people. My name's Maddie Murray, and this is Professionally Informal. A sticky summer's day in Shepherdstown, an eagle in a thermal is a circle around like a tire on a bike rolling down Columbus Street. Y'all, have we ever had some kids up in the Nature Center this week? Oh my goodness, it's the busy season, maple syrup is happening, which means we're getting tons of school groups in, and mostly, uh, so far, we've had kindergartners and, like, first and second graders, which is great, because you ask them questions like, what kinds of animals did the pilgrims use to carry big buckets of sap And they give you answers like bears. I have had multiple kids tell me that they think the pilgrims used bears to move around giant barrels of sap. That's fucking brilliant! I mean, yeah, sure, Illinois doesn't have bears. I don't know if Illinois ever really had bears. But uh, this kid is clearly more imaginative than any of us old fucks. Uh, They also, let's see, other good answers have included... Uh, tigers. A couple kids said tigers. I definitely heard moose. I mean, if I could hook a moose up to my goddamn sledge to pull my sap, I uh, certainly would. Let's see. Lions. One kid said birds. Um, This was a kindergartner. I don't know if they had just, like, maybe they were just watching Snow White or Cinderella or something and were like, oh yeah, just get, get a shit ton of birds and have them uh, fly the sledge to the fire. I... I don't even know. That was the only one that, like, really caused me to stop and consider everything I knew to be true. Because if this kid had seen a single goddamn bird big enough to carry a sledge full of maple syrup, I would run for the hills screaming for my life. That would be the biggest freaking bird ever. It's also a a great segue into today's topic. Hell yeah! Thank you, random kindergartner. But before I do that, I just want to say uh, sorry for any and all noises you hear in the background of this episode. So this is the first time in a couple weeks that I'm not recording in an empty house. In fact, um, this is it's the opposite of that. Uh, for one, my sister is home from college, the, the middle of the three. I'm the oldest, she's the middlest, and then we've got a babyist. So she's home from school right now, and, uh, the dog is, of course, up and about. There's the cat. Uh, let's see, this desk is unusually noisy today. I think this microphone is picking up on every single sound in the house on any floor. And also, the frickin' dryer is running. I mean, I could stop it, but I don't want to do that. I don't want to mess it up. And also, I've got, like, a lot of papers in front of me because they're my notes. And so sorry. This one's going to be messier. I'm also warning you that uh, it might be shorter because, y'all, I'm going to talk about birds today. That's where the segue jumps in. See, did I lose you? I hope not because I went off on a different tangent about how loud this freaking house is. Oh, no. Never mind, I just thought of something that's irrelevant. Guys, we're going to be renovating the basement that I record in in a couple weeks. 
I don't know where the hell I'm gonna record this. Oh, well, that's a problem for future Maddie. Whatever. So, this week, I'm gonna be talking about birds. A specific bird, like a specific species of bird, not one specific bird. I probably could talk about one specific bird for like 20 minutes, but I'm not gonna do that. This week, we're talking about sandhill cranes. And I am a little bit hesitant to talk about not just sandhill cranes, but any bird ever. Y'all, who's ready for Maddie's opinion? Okay, so I... Hmm... I'm trying to say this in a way that doesn't sound overly bitchy. Doesn't make people I know mad at me. Or doesn't send a horde of people coming after me with a, with a pitchforks. Because I don't want that. Um, I interact with a lot of birders in my job. People who go out and they look for birds. Like, that's pretty chill, right? Pretty chill hobby. You know, go out, see like, oh, there's a cardinal. Oh, there's a blue jay. Y'all, birders are the least fucking chill group of outdoor enthusiasts I have ever interacted with. Like, yeah, there's there's chill birders, people who just go out and look for them. But, oh, my God, some are downright fucking competitive have a list of every single bird they've ever seen and the season and the color and where it was there's like competitions and people are always trying to out bird each other and try to be so impressive like oh i'm the top birder in my county haha <laughs> what 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 does that even mean <laughs> It's like a hive mind, y'all. Sometimes we get cool birds on site at the facility that I work at, but we're not supposed to publish pictures of them because if we do, birders will show up and camp out where we last saw this bird and harass the poor thing to try and get photos of it and add it to their own count. Like, what? I, what? And there's also the fact that I think birding uh, can be at times, as well as just also the general scientific history of birds, can uh, sometimes be just the most, the most freaking pompous sounding thing ever. Hey, guess what, y'all? Guess what? Do y'all know why there are so many different names for groups of birds? Do you know why there's words like, oh, there's a flock or a myrtle or a uh, cluster of whatevers? Have you ever, ever considered why? It's nothing scientific. It's nothing zoological. No, it's because Victorian era men would see groups of birds and decided they needed to be fancier and that those men needed to be fancier and recognized for more things. So they just gave them all whatever name they wanted. And that's why there are like 50 bajillion names for groups of birds and it all depends on the species. And oh, well, you can have a murder of crows, but you can't have a, uh, a murder of house sparrows. <laughs> I can think of no other animal where this is a thing, y'all. And in short, that's why uh, I'm really actually a little bit worried to talk about birders. Uh, not, no, I already talked about birders, which I'm a little bit terrified of. Uh, please don't come after me if you're a birder. 
Um, or you know what? Do come fight me behind the Arby's if you're a birder, I guess, and you're really offended by this. Or take a look at your own community and wonder why people do not necessarily want to engage if they are adjacent to the birding community but not a birder. You know, just just look at yourselves. Which isn't to say I don't know some really cool birders. I have a coworker who has her master's in ornithology and is a total badass and knows so much and is just not the pompous type and it's just wonderful. But damn, son, some of those birders. <laughs> and that's my rant to start this week's episode. Thank you so much for tuning in. Let's actually talk about what I what I've researched, which is a species of, of bird. So the sandhill crane. It's a pretty awesome bird. I always get a little bit nervous talking about birds because I have a history in mammals um, as well as arachnids. I studied under a primatologist and did all of my capstone research on Carolina wolf spiders. So I haven't done as much like scientific type work with birds, but I've done a lot of bird training and interaction and caretaking, but not much wild bird stuff because that's just not what I'm into. So I figured today I'd talk about one of the wild birds that I actually get really, really excited about, and that's the sandhill crane. So here in the Midwest where I live, we have twice a year this really awesome phenomenon, usually in March and November-ish, where you'll be standing outside and then all of a sudden you hear somewhere, coming from somewhere in the ether, this really incredible bird call. And it sounds like this. And you look all around for, oh my gosh, where is that weird noise coming from? And you you can't really see anything. You can't find anything. And so you look and you look and you look in all the bushes and the trees. And then you look up and you look up some more. And then you see tiny little specks up in the sky. Smallest freaking things ever. And you realize, holy shit, that's what's making that noise. How high up is that thing? Like, what? And if you are curious enough, you go, when you Google it or you ask someone, and you find out that it's this animal called a sandhill crane, making their yearly, or I guess there and back, twice yearly, migration from their summer breeding, from their summer grounds to their winter grounds. Now, sandhill cranes are huge. They can be, like, up to five feet tall, sometimes, on rare occasions, even taller. These are big-ass birds. Like a stereotypical crane, they've got these crazy long spindly necks and they look like they'd be really elegant and graceful, but let me tell you, if you've ever really like seen one up close moving or get startled, they're not that graceful. <laughs> they're clumsy as fuck at times because they've got these long spindly legs and these wild snake-like necks and they're just at the whims of the elements. It's really funny. But you know, when they're just standing still, they look super graceful. They've got these gray feathers that tend to take on more of a rusty color as they pick up dirt on their migration and a big red patch on the back of their heads when they're adults. These are really cool birds. Also, I said a minute ago that they could be up to five feet. That was a lie. I'm sorry. Usually up to four feet. If I saw one that was five feet, that would be really cool because it would be taller than I am. 
I don't want to go back and edit that because I know it's talking really fast, which I tend to do, and it'd just be really hard to make it naturally sound like I said the correct thing. So here we go. Honesty is the best policy. Like I said, I'm not a bird person. I studied under a primatologist. So something that's really cool about these cranes is their, like, big migration, where they'll start up in, you know, Canada, sometimes even up by Siberia, and then they fly south more towards uh, Florida or the Everglades or just anywhere really warmer where they overwinter. And one of the really unique things they do is that they tend to all gather at the same time every year in a place called the Platte River. It is one of the largest gatherings of wild birds in the world, and I have never seen it, but apparently it's just like cranes as far as the eye can see. Cranes all the way down. So many goddamn birds. And honestly, I would love to see that. That's a really cool natural phenomenon. Like, even if you're not a bird person, even if you're someone who is afraid of birds, I'm not. I'm putting that out there, but... It makes sense to me why people are. They're very swoopy and they're big and they have sharp beaks. Even if you're so even if you're someone who's afraid of that, this is still a really cool thing to have the chance to see. At least so I've been told or at least so I've seen from pictures. So this stop on the Platte River is key for the cranes migration, for their health, for their survival because it is the perfect ecosystem if you're a big giant freak bird. Let me explain. So, sandhill cranes tend to live in more marshy areas. They like the grasses, they like the shallow, fresh waters. That's where, you know, you got fish and bugs and all sorts of good stuff. That is their niche. That's where they like to hang out. So, let's say you're a bird, and you have to fly from fucking Alaska down to, like, Florida or Texas or Missouri, somewhere really far away. And you need to be flying, uh, let's say, 200 to 500 miles a day. No joke, y'all, these birds can fly up to 500 goddamn miles per day if they have the right wind conditions. And if they don't have the right conditions, guess what? They still might be flying like 200 to 300 miles a day. That is so many miles. That's just so many. I'd imagine you'd get tired. So they go and they chill out in the Platte River Valley. If you're a crane, if you've just flown 500 freaking miles in one day and you just need a breather, this is, this is the place for you. This is where you're going to want to stop. It's really an ideal ecosystem stopping point for these animals, and it's one that they return to year after year after year after year after year. If you're like, what's that weird sound? Is she just like cracking her joints simultaneously? No, I was snapping for emphasis because that's what I do sometimes. Not, never before right now, but you know, there's always a time to start something new. I could be snappers now. So the habitats in the Platte River Valley are ideal if you're a crane. They've got these long, sort of shallow sandbar areas, lots of marshy channels with short grasses. There's lots of other birds around if you're looking to get down and get nasty with another sandhill crane. And you don't have to worry about predators because if you're standing on a sandbar in the middle of the river, it's going to be real hard for a coyote to come and eat your ass. It's the ideal sleeping, social, fun party time if you are, you know, halfway through a massive cross-continental cross journey. 
Now, let's say you're a crane. You're chilling out here at the uh, Platte River, just having a good old time. And you see, out of the corner of your eye, oh, well, there is a pretty little lady crane over there. And I am a pretty young male crane, above the age of seven years old. Y'all, I don't know if cranes uh, have same-sex relationships. It's totally possible. It's common in a lot of species, including humans. Uh, sidebar ended. Hmm, I want to impress her. What am I going to do? Dance, fucker, dance! You gotta get the attention of the opposite sex. You gotta do a pretty dance for them. And then, woohoo, look at that! You might have an egg. Usually two eggs. Usually the female will lay two eggs and the time will be split sitting on the egg between the male and the female pretty equally because Crane said equal rights. Now typically only one of the two eggs will survive and even then it is uh, pretty tough for these animals to survive into adulthood. So Cranes, once they live past about three to four years old, they can live to be as high as 30 years old but getting to that three to four year mark, that's a toughie, y'all. That's pretty rough. And so if you're hatched and, you know, you make it through those first few perilous months and onto the slightly less perilous but still incredibly dangerous uh, next few months, I my brain can't conceptualize a timetable at the moment for whatever GD reason. Then, uh, if you're lucky, you get to migrate down south with your parents in a nice little family sky trip. At the point of the migration, the juveniles are usually fully mature. So at this point, the boys will head on off and they will hang on out with a bachelor flock until they're a little bit older and then they're ready to mate. So sexual maturity can be reached as early as two years, but it's uh, more common to see mating happen around four, five, even as high as seven years old uh, for the first time. And with a lot of birds, this is where people would say, and oh my gosh, they mate for life! Ah! Except, I... And if, if that is your reaction, that's great, but I... I have some, I guess, unfortunate news for you, or not really unfortunate. Uh, so here's, here's the thing. A lot of people talk about birds that mate for life. Uh, penguins are, you know, a famous one that people go back to, you know, some gulls, other large birds, maybe puffins. There, uh, there really isn't monogamy in the animal kingdom, aside from the homo sapiens. So while an animal may hang out with its partner for its entire life, they may be pair bonded and chill out together for the entirety of their 20 years as a fertile couple. If for whatever reason, uh, one of the two seems to be having trouble producing, that animal will go to another animal to produce an offspring and then just raise it with that partner. So, while, yeah, they may be, you know, all lovey-dovey together for their entire lives, y'all, there's a lot of that sexy shit happening on the side. A lot that, uh, people don't really talk about. It's, it's more cute to say that the animals mate for life. Because they do oftentimes hang out for life. But, uh, monogamous partners for life? Yeah, not, 
Not so much. I gotta add that to my list of episode ideas. The sex party that is the Animal Kingdom. It'll have a better name, I promise. So, basically, to go into this episode, I had to do a fair amount of research, because birds are not currently, nor have they ever been, my area of expertise, and I doubt they ever will be in the future, if I'm being completely honest, but it was really fun to get to look up and learn new things about a species that I have very strange interactions with at least twice a year, and that is... Every time they fly overhead after being gone for a while and I hear them calling, I'm like, where is that weird sound coming from? Oh, that speck up in the sky. And so I guess what I'm trying to say is, researching things just to research them, y'all, is really fun. And it's definitely part of what's going to keep me doing this podcast. This is episode number five now, um, which is more than my mom ever thought I'd make. (laughs) Ha ha ha! That's, no, that's a, that's a lie. I don't even think my mom knows the show exists. Please don't tell her. I say a lot of bad words, and I don't want to disappoint her. But it was just a chance to learn a lot of new things that I otherwise wouldn't have gone seeking out. Like, the fact that Sandhill Cranes have three different, like, lenses that cover their eye. Three different, what is this thing? Eyelids! That's the word I'm looking for. Eyelids. Three different eyelids, like a lot of other species do. But I had no idea cranes had it, and now I do, and that's awesome. And now, hey, you know it too. Congratulations for you. You're welcome. Or that sandhill cranes can leave their nest within eight hours of hatching. That's that's quick for a bird, you guys. I mean, you know, giraffes and okapi and horses, they can all stand pretty much the instant they're born and can move around not long after. But birds, y'all, they're they're pretty helpless a lot of the time when they hatch. In terms of helplessness at birth, they're right up there with humans. Humans are probably the most use- useless when when we're born, but baby birds are really close. And the fact that sandhill cranes can start swimming and moving around within 8 hours, that's really awesome. That's so cool. And I was also reading about how uh, I was also reading about how territorial they can be, and I just need to say that it is a terrifying thought in my brain to be walking down the street one day and then all of a sudden a four foot tall pointy spindly bird comes charging at you because you're too close to it. That's a nightmare scenario. That's why I never hoped to meet an emu, and I was like, damn, they're not even on the same continent as I am. I don't have to worry about that. Uh, but no, apparently I have to worry about sandhill cranes coming after me with their sharp-ass beaks. But it's also pretty cool that they can recognize the spatial arrangement of a place enough to define their own territory. Okay, so there were a lot of things about cranes that I didn't talk about. A lot of things that I still could talk about. I could talk about migratory patterns. I could talk about human interactions. I could talk about interactions with the changing climate. A really important one. But uh, I'm not going to talk about them today. This was just sort of my own little info dump uh, that started with a rant about birders, I guess. Um, Sorry if you're a birder and you were offended but also not sorry. I stand by everything I said completely. But I think that's going to wrap it up for us now. It's a busy season here, and I have things to do that 
I'm going to be paid for. This isn't one of them. So, but uh, thank you so much for listening. Thank you so much for tuning in. A big thank you to Josh Woodward for the use of his song, Learn to Fly, as the intro and outro of our program. Hey, if you want to connect with the show or with me, you can find us on Twitter at InformalPod. If you tweet at us or about us, we'll give you a shout out in the show, even if you are an angry birder telling me how stupid I am or that you uh, just generally don't like me or that all my facts are wrong. I'll give you a shout out. If you're really mean, you'll probably get a bit more than a shout-out, and it won't probably be as loving and caring as I'm known for. Um, but hey, there's no such thing as bad publicity, am I right? I'm wrong! Or, uh, if you want to share a story with us, or a cool fact, or have a topic that you'd like for me to talk about, you can shoot us an email at professionallyinformal at gmail.com. Again, that is professionallyinformal the name of the podcast, at gmail.com. You can find our show on pretty much any major podcasting platform, Spotify, iTunes, I think Stitcher, I gotta check that one out, I don't remember, uh, Pinecast, which is our hosted site, and if you guys liked what you hear, please feel free to leave us a rate or a review on iTunes. That would really help us out. This is a very new show, five episodes in. I'm still learning, but any any feedback would be awesome, especially positive feedback. Help us get some more visibility. Share us with someone you like. Share us with someone you don't like if you want to punish them. Anyways, thank you again so much for listening. My name is Maddie Murray, and remember, learning is not just for the classroom. Sprout and lift you off the ground